a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Welcome back, Rebels and Imperials, to Force Goes Coast to Coast. This is a very special episode where we asked both past guests and listeners to call in with their opinions about Star Wars, the rise of Skywalker. So what you're going to hear following is uh, those reactions. I'm not going to bother you with my own voice anymore. You hear enough of me. We'll be back in two weeks, probably with an episode about The Mandalorian, but maybe something else. Who knows? But until then, enjoy these myriad opinions about the Rise of Skywalker. And remember, the Force will be with you always. Hey, this is Dylan Wise. I'm in Los Angeles, but this isn't where I live. I saw Rise of Skywalker Christmas Eve at an Alamo Draft House at 9 a.m. at a screening for children uh, where they keep the lights on and turn the sound down a little bit so that babies can come. Myself, my wife, my eight-month-old child, my brother, his girlfriend, and their two-month-old child uh, were the only people in attendance. Here's the thing. I <laughs> I love Star Wars. Um, I'm I'm the exact right person to love it. Uh, the exact right age to love it, um, which is every age apparently. But I was in eighth grade. No, I was in sixth grade when um, Phantom Menace came out, and I remember leaving the theater and thinking, well, that wasn't very good. And then I was in high school when the uh, final uh, episode three came out, and I remember thinking, well, that was okay. And you could say what you want about the prequels, but they knew what they were. Like, there was a vision from beginning to end. Like, there was an arc that you could follow. I'm not sure you can say the same thing about this final trilogy, where Kathleen Kennedy, in her infinite Disney wisdom, decided hey, we're going to make a trilogy, but we're not going to plan it out ahead of time. We're just going to sort of wing it, and it'll be fine, which is um, not smart. <laughs> and I say that as a person uh, who is is nervous to say it because Disney runs our lives now, um, and I own stock in them, and I want them to be successful. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's a really long-winded way of saying the entire movie was uh, – disjointed and um, confusing and full of things that I love and things that I hate. And, uh, yeah, the more I think about it, the less I like it. Um, I don't know why people can't be in romantic relationships in Disney movies. Why do we have to have, like, a thruple hug at the end instead of, you know, Finn and Poe making out? That would have been cool. I don't know, man. Not everybody has to be related is the other thing. Like, where did Anakin come from? Was his dad Palpatine also? I don't know. I'm bummed overall. I like Dio. He was kind of cool. Yeah. I don't like thinking about it. Okay. Uh, Bye. Hey, it's Multiversity Comics social media manager Kate Kastorsky here with a couple of thoughts on The Rise of Skywalker, which we just saw on opening weekend. If there's something this film did right, it's that it made you feel something. It made you ha- it gave you emotion. It gave you moments that you were longing to see on screen as a fan. 
can't help but get choked up when you see Chewie at the end finally get his medal. You can't help but giggle when you see the Ewoks that you may have watched on Saturday morning cartoons or the Porgs that you love and still claim are friends, not food, show up again on the screen. In that respect, in those moments of fan service and emotion and emotional baggage, the film works. What doesn't work about it is that it doesn't have a connective tissue to hold all those moments together. It's almost like we were getting a greatest hits album of Star Wars. Now, that connective tissue is The Last Jedi. Let's be clear here. And whether you love or you hate that film, undoing those decisions from that film weakened this film considerably to the point where it was hard for me to really, truly embrace and enjoy it. It was certainly entertaining, but without that connective tissue to hold it together, it's a tough sell for me. We have to obviously talk about Carrie Fisher's presence, and it sounds disrespectful for me to say this, to her legacy and to her memory and what she meant to me as a woman and a mental health advocate and all the wonderful things she did throughout her life, but I almost wish she wasn't in this film. Where we see her, say for one pivotal scene that does turn this film in the back half, uh, I almost wish she wasn't there. It was. It felt like it was just a case of milking the final, the, her final appearance for what it was worth. And the scenes did truly feel cut and pasted in both a literal and a figurative sense. Now, future generations may see this differently, being so divorced from the from ta- from the time of her passing to that whenever they do watch that film. But for those of us who are still mourning her death now, nearly three years on, it's tough to watch. So all in all, I have to say this film was entertaining. I enjoyed myself. I jokingly said to my boyfriend Frank afterwards, at least it wasn't the prequels. But with again, without a connective tissue to hold it together, it doesn't it doesn't do well. Um, there was Brian used the analogy in our official review of the film of that the ghosts make this a tough sell, and I completely agree is that the ghosts of the fan backlash to The Last Jedi, the literal and ghost of the late Carrie Fisher, hangs over this film so much that it made it hard for me to truly enjoy, embrace it, and cheer for it like I cheered for the other franchise that ended this year, Avengers Endgame. Will I watch The Rise of Skywalker if it's on TV? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Will I get it on Blu-ray to complete my collection? No doubt. Will I go see it like one of my friends did 11 times in, with Endgame, 11 times in the theater? Probably not. I'm glad I saw it. I'm glad it ended. But it tried to be something for everybody. And when, as I say often at my job, when you make everything a priority, nothing becomes a priority. And when you try to make everything number one in your film, nothing becomes number one. And you just end up with a jumbled greatest hits mess and not a cohesive story that's it hey this is dylan again i left a message like four hours ago um and i can't stop thinking about it why was lando in it why was he there was he good did we like him in the first one that he appeared in i having a hard time with this movie the more i think about it the more i really don't like it
Sorry. Sorry for calling back. Hey, everybody. Uh, this is Michael Morisi, uh, writer of uh, Wasteful Space and The Plot and some other stuff, probably most saliently uh, Star Wars Adventure, Adventure rather, um, for IDW. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to talk for a second about that Rise of Skywalker movie, uh, which I absolutely adored. I loved it. Um, <clears throat> is it flawed? Is it rushed a little? Sure. Sure. It's got It's got flaws. We can sit here and do that, fall into that horrible internet abyss of, you know, 97 plot holes you missed in this movie and, you know, how it should have ended and all that garbage. But look, that's, you know, that's garbage. You know, uh, here's the end of the day. I sat there. I loved it. It felt like Star Wars. I was cheering. The crowd around me was cheering. I've seen it twice now. The crowd in both times were hollering and clapping and cheering. It felt like Star Wars. It had the experience and the magic that we all go for. So that's that's what we're that's what we're paying our money for is to is for that magic we've been doing since you know 1977. Um, and it and it's and it's thoroughly in this movie. It's lovingly in this movie. Like I said, we can pick it apart, but I think that like if you look at this ending, we we all know that the Force Awakens and Last Jedi don't really work too well together. Uh, I don't see them being as a continuous whole so much. There's, there's so much discrepancy between the two and tonally and, and just story-wise. So the third movie has a, a real true thankless task of trying to tie, you know, reconcile those two movies, tie in all nine. And that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. And you know what? There's no way it was going to be able to achieve all that in two and a half hours without being fast, without being frenetic, and taking some leaps. And it does all those things. You can be mad at it for doing those things. You can, like, again, you could pick it apart and say, well, I would have done this or I would have done that, blah, blah, blah. You could do those things. Or, or you can just sit back, let the magic take you, enjoy Star Wars, enjoy Rise of Skywalker. It's a wonderful Star Wars movie. It's a fitting, you know, conclusion to this epic story. Ray was great. Finn was great. Poe was great. Great surprises, great twists. And to me, it was a satisfying conclusion, a satisfying film. I'm glad it exists. I will see it many more times, and I'm certain I will enjoy it more and more every time I see it. So that's my thoughts. I hope you guys like it as much as I did, and uh, may the force be with you. Hey, it's Dylan again. Sorry. Um, if I think really, really hard about it, uh, which I have been um, not just since seeing the movie, but even before, if I think really hard about it, I, I – love Star Wars, but really, if we're being honest, there really are only like three and a half good movies. If we're being like objective, right? Like the first one, The New Hope, is great. Empire Strikes Back is great. Return of the Jedi is like half good, and then half of Force Awakens is good, and then half of Rogue One is good. Right? I'm just so confused. <laughs> I thought that I loved this thing, but I think I might not. I don't know. When I came out of the theater, I thought that Rise of Skywalker was a middle-of-the-road Star Wars movie that really gets by on the three stars being together on screen for the first time. And uh, they're charming, and it really gets by on that. But the more I think about it, my main feeling is that 
I miss George Lucas. And that is something that I never thought I would say. Rise of Skywalker is probably my least favorite, uh, even against Attack of the Clones, and I don't, I never thought that would be possible. So, not good. <laughs> okay, thanks. Oh, it's recording. What's up, Force Coast crew? It's the co-webcomics wrangler, Mike Mazikane. I've seen the last, not the last Jedi, I wish I'd seen the last Jedi, I've seen Rise of Skywalker, and oh, that's deeply unsatisfying. Just, like, okay. Abrams and Chris Terrio essentially ignoring The Last Jedi as happening on an emotional level. I get it. I like comics. Scott Snyder and Tom King technically wrote Batman in the same continuity as each other, I guess. Doomsday Clock happened. I guess, I guess they put it all together. But, like, the point being, like, they basically... Like, Tom King's Batman does not speak to Scott Snyder's Batman, and they have two very different philosophical and tonal differences. And I like that, because you can have different things. But, they never bothered to tell their own, not tell their own story, just like, ah, just this movie is so deeply unsatisfying, as like, fundamentally as a movie, it has no chill. Like, it kept reminding me of the first 10 minutes of Attack of the Clones and Attack of the Clones in general. Which, honestly, I feel like is... Like, everyone dogs on Phantom is, Attack of the Clones is the worst Star Wars movie. But, like, that first 10 minutes of Attack of the Clones is just kind of wild. They just go for, from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. And then they go into the noir bit and while well, still going to the thing. And it just... Ugh. This movie has no chill. It cannot bother to slow down. It is a MacGuffin chase on top of a MacGuffin chase that leads to a, de- a, f- a death fake-out because another Harrier, another carrier is in pl- in the same general location that we didn't see? Like, huh? I just... Oh. Like, okay. I Philosophically, not... Having differences with Ryan Johnson's Last Jedi, I get it. Even if, like, going back to the, like, aristocratic bloodline bullshit of Star Wars is not good and, like, actively detrimental to the democratic notion that Ryan Johnson put out. Like, okay, I'll I'll let that slide. But just tell your own story. Like, there's no story. Like, Rey is a Palpatine. Huh? Just, oh, just, like, I don't get it. As it's, it, it feels like it's pandering. This movie is pandering to a bunch of old fanboys who don't understand Star Wars on an intellectual level and think that it's just cool to look at because there are laser beams. It's so much, like, maybe it's just because, like, my own understanding of Star Wars is built in that, like, Luke Skywalker isn't supposed to be a Billy badass and cool. He's Luke Skywalker. He's kind of a nerd who's a hippie who uses basically magic Aikido to turn people's leverage against them and through the power of basically being a good person, wins. And they got, like, so much of what Rey was doing in this movie is built around showing that she is physically competent in a in a spectacular way that feels very odd. And like, ah, just that, that part felt very odd. 
just let's see what else what else did what else am i just kind of like word vomiting out here um what are the things oh poe and finn getting quasi love interest coded characters to make sure everyone understands that they're straights kind of bullshit like just like god damn it they had carrie russell in this movie i love carrie russell she should have been in more of this movie she was cool she looked like a cool star wars character and yet she's there to be basically like should we go like ah and i guess like they had actual queer representation because i think i saw two rebel pilot women kiss at the end but like that also is some like of like anthony russo cameo look gay people actually exist in our movies but they're side characters who don't have lines sort of way bullshit like i don't know maybe they are making that dr afora tv show and that'll be nice i hope i like the kieran gillen comics but just uh everything about this was so deeply unsatisfying and unimaginative it lacks guts or like a willingness to change things it's just so like all of this is wrapped in nostalgia and like signs from yesteryear but they don't signify anything because there's no emotional core to this movie like at least like you would have thought at least jj abrams could have copied return of the jedi a bit more like he did with force awakens and even then like in force awakens he took the basic plot beats of the new hope and used it to tell a different kind of story which was a story of people coming together and in this there's just there's no story uh, I think I'm just done with Star Wars movies. Like, The Mandalorian's cool. But, like, this... Honestly, it felt a lot like Solo and how it was just so plot-focused and macguffin chasey crap. And then just, like, the Emperor's just... Oh, he's back. Which, okay, like, one... That's a thing that's just happened in the Expanded Universe stuff. Where, like, clones. So, like, him just being back randomly, that's fine. Like, that's just using the break between things well, but just... Oh, I'm going to have to see this movie again with my dad, and I don't want to. I don't want to see a Star Wars movie. That's terrible. So, yeah. One more thing I forgot. Carrie Russell being in, or not Carrie Russell, Carrie Fisher being in this movie was just weird. Just, ah, just, they shouldn't have done what they did with her images that she probably her and her estate probably no longer own but like ethically it just felt weird like ah just that was weird and uncomfortable in a way that seemed like old young peter cushing or at least the last time i had ever thought of seeing peter cushing or young carrie fisher was in rogue one wasn't so weird and Oh, there was something else. But I just... My grandparents liked it. They were entertained. That's nice. I'm glad they... I'm glad people like this movie. That's cool. I'm deeply disappointed in it. I uh, watched Rise of Skywalker last night and been thinking about it quite a bit. And I feel that the biggest downfall of the entire movie is that it's a quintessential sequel type of movie in the sense that everything is bigger, badder, larger, louder, 
to the point where that it just takes you out of the movie, for example, like the giant emperor's throne, the giant fleet of Star Destroyers. Every ship has a world killer gun on it and so forth. And then take it to the next level, the Palpatine tie-in with Rey. I just didn't connect to the movie. I also thought they were trying to do way too much in terms of humor. That didn't, that just was nonstop humor, stop, humor, stop, humor, stop, like almost like a point-counterpoint kind of scenario where it just didn't give things enough time to breathe. But in, in totality, it was very compressed with what they were trying to accomplish. I really just felt that it, it's a shadow of what Star Wars is. And I know that the filmmakers are trying too hard to recreate a chemistry of Han, Leia, Luke from the original trilogy between Ray uh, and the other two guys that I can't think of the names off the top of my head right now. But uh, I just really struggled with that movie being quality. And I really appreciated Brian Salvatore's uh, article that he wrote on Multiversity Comics about his review of Rise of Skywalker. Thank you. This is Matt Garcia. Perhaps the signs had always been there. Perhaps we always knew from the moment Lucasfilm announced J.J. Abrams' return that this sequel trilogy was going to go exactly the way we expected. To be fair, when Lucasfilm started off the project, they had all their pieces in place. Kathleen Kennedy hired three directors, straight white men, with three wildly different styles and voices. I think the idea was they would react to each other, build off each other. After all, Star Wars has always been created like this, with some major decisions being made up literally on the spot. And Abrams started off with the serviceable yet safe, entertaining, and promising Force Awakens. Then, Ryan Johnson came in and brought a gravitas and scope to the series not seen since 1980. He came with a deep understanding of lore and myth that wasn't just Star Wars, which expanded on the idea of Star Wars with The Last Jedi. Episode 9 was always going to be a mess because they tapped Colin Trevorrow for reasons, whose movies have always been messes. But then Carrie Fisher died. And soon after, Trevor Rowe was let go, citing creative differences, though it's hard to look past that he was the latest in a long line of directors to be dismissed from a Star Wars project over creative differences. Only Force Awakens and Last Jedi were completed by their initial creative team. Then Solo flopped, following a myriad of behind-the-scenes mayhem. Uh, though that flop was really Disney's fault for releasing it so close to Infinity War, marketing it so poorly, not giving audiences enough time to breathe since the last Star Wars film, not doing enough damage control about said behind-the-scenes mayhem. Uh, in any event, no one was really sure where the galaxy was going to go next. After plenty of meetings and deals, Lucasfilm announced J.J. Abrams would finish off the series. Daisy Ridley apparently cried when she heard the news. The release date, however, would remain unchanged. This is all extra-textual, sure, but I also think it's still important to bear in mind when talking about Rise of Skywalker, because Rise of Skywalker is a heartbreaking movie, and I think those factors help make it so distressing. Also, the film doesn't really offer a lot to support itself, it exists within the extra text. Abrams had to build a project from the ground up in an incredibly short amount of time. Disney wanted this movie to come out on December 20th, 2019, because that's what they put on their release calendar, and that's what shareholders expected. Abrams had to scramble to put something together. I'm sure he would have loved an extra year to work on the film. I'm sure he would have loved the extra time to think through what worked and what didn't, how he could respond to the previous films while building on top of them. 
Instead, he hired Chris Terrio to write the script with him, and they made a movie on gut instinct. And it turns out their instinct was pretty derivative and unimaginative. Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker is like getting a bad handjob from somebody you really like. It's so desperate to please you, so anxious for your approval, it ultimately does nothing right. And you're left raw, numb, and spent. It's a quick fix, and you almost wonder if it was worth it to go out for the release in the first place. Rise of Skywalker's problems are especially spotlit by what it does well. John Williams, in what's allegedly his last film score before he retires, throws everything into the music. He builds off old themes, weaves in new ones, tells a story, and conjures images with every movement, every measure. It's more classic and melodic than Force Awakens, though maybe not as ambitious as Last Jedi. The film is put together well enough. Sure, the first hour's pacing is relentless and we move in and out of chases and actions seen so quickly we don't have time to consider what we just saw. Nonetheless, the chase sequences are clever, the visual presentation is decent, the production design team creates a whole bunch of interesting new worlds, and Abrams has an assured sense of blocking and frame composition and action staging. Although Adam Driver's part is not nearly as meaty as the previous two entries, and I think sometimes when Kylo Ren's in his mask we're actually looking at a stand-in, he does what he can with the role, tries to show that Ren's trauma and conflict are still there. And Naomi Aki makes a throwaway character one of the more memorable parts of the whole thing. The material is fun, sure. After all, it wants nothing more than to appease us. And so, in order to appease us, it turns in this shallow, unfulfilling, and almost insulting picture. Because the rise of Skywalker makes some choices. First of all, there's Rey. Over the course of the trilogy, she's been this character in search of herself. Abandoned on a desert planet in the furthest reaches of the galaxy, a place so removed even Luke Skywalker is like, yeah, that's pretty much nowhere, she pines for her family to return, to take her off that rock. Because of the story she heard, because of the legend she was told, because of her abandonment, she most desperately wants to be connected to something. She's a survivor, but she doesn't want to survive alone. People, mostly men, repeatedly tell her who she is and what's her purpose. Then they try to control and move her for their own gains. Eventually, she confronts her fears and self-imposed exile. She stops trying to lie to herself. She discovers her own worth and through it, her strength. At the end of The Force Awakens, she was fully prepared to hand over Luke's lightsaber, then follow along with whatever he told her. But by picking up the lightsaber after Luke rejects it, she chose to go forward, to continue her own path. By the end of The Last Jedi, she learns she's alone in all this because her family were a bunch of nobodies, yet she also learns what she mostly most of all cared about. She's found people. She discovered a way to move forward with new determination and purpose, despite losing that one thing, that one I bet, bit of identity that she clung to. Ray gave us hope that the Force could call on anyone, that each and every one of us had the potential to be part of the story. I think we also misremember that Ray's the one who acknowledges her parents were nobodies in the throne room. Kylo Ren merely filled in the extra details, and that rejection of these faults make it so that she can evolve. But in Rise of Skywalker, she's a Palpatine now. Oh my god, no way, what in the force? Her parents were nobodies alright, but her grandfather was the greatest evil the galaxy has ever seen. It's a decision that's so profoundly stupid, so inherently reductive, and so blatantly pandering, it can only be read as a desperate attempt to finish a draft. 
It's outline material, chalkboard material, a placeholder to work with and fix later material. By this choice, Ray is stripped of her own agency, of her own growth. She doesn't get to make decisions anymore. She only has the opportunity to react to what's in front of her. She's forced into a lineage. All that metachlorian junk again. She's at the behest of other characters again. She can only operate in the roles the older generations have set up for her. For a moment, Ray was able to stop deluding herself, able to forge her own identity, only to be undermined by the laziest fucking decision from unimaginative, desperate storytellers. Abrams, since this movie came out, has claimed the decision was the next logical step for her to face, but that feels inauthentic and, like, retroactive. Not that Star Wars ever tried to say something was in place retroactively or anything. The Rise of Skywalker literally ends with her lying to herself all over again, with her taking on a false persona and convincing herself that none of it matters. Other characters get short-shafted too, though not to the same extent as Rey. No one has arcs or trajectories again, something that's important in this kind of storytelling. They all sort of run through the motions. Poe Dameron is straight-washed, and entirely new character is created just so Red State audiences don't have to think that he might be gay. Never mind how Oscar play Isaac played uh, Poe as Thirsty for Finn since the first encounter. He also apparently forgot everything he learned about being a hero versus being a leader from The Last Jedi in Hell, even from Rebecca Horse's uh, Resistance Rising. He's also dismissive of droids now, I guess, even though the only droid he's ever showed was for BB-8. His sole motivation now is to do rebel stuff. Then there's Finn. From the start, Abrams used Finn as a device to connect other characters together. Never gave him any agency or purpose. By the end of the previous movie, he's figured out why the Resistance exists, why the Resistance needs to exist, but in Rise of Skywalker, he's relegated to mostly running around the areas and screaming people's names. To get extra textual again, John Boyega spent the whole press tour for this movie putting his foot in his mouth, which was a strange decision uh, because he made it seem like he had so much more to do in this film rather than nothing at all. So both these characters started out with sketchy roles at best, and their memorability and our love for them came more out of Isaac's and Boyega's charismas. Anyway, Kylo Ren, meanwhile, turned from a conflicted and emotionally wrecked iconoclastic tyrant, constantly at war with himself, to yet another pawn. He reforges his mask just to show he's a pawn again. He's menacing enough here, but mostly it's treated as an afterthought. Abrams and Terio cannot seem to force him through their arc in a meaningful manner, so they just push him aside in favor of the Emperor, which strips... Kylo Ren of any notion of consequence and turns his inevitable redemption arc shallow and easy. Even Hux, that sniveling little weasel man, a constant source of torment and derision, is reduced to just barely more than a cameo. Donald Gleason is given one line about how much he hates Kylo Ren, then Richard E. Grant zaps him with a laser. I guess it's fun to see Billy D. Williams return, but Lando exists so he can cheer at his existence, and maybe parallel Return of the Jedi a little bit more. Bear in mind, the vast majority of these characters are all J.J. Abrams's. Even if he did do, like, the entire sequel trilogy with his penchant for sudden reveals and not playing fair with the source material, I wonder if these characters would have ever gotten a moment at all. Lando's presence also speaks to Abrams' instinct for fan service. Rise of Skywalker feels less like someone expressing their love of the galaxy by exploring the universe as it does as some guy just banging his old toys together. Uh, there's a whole Adventure Time episode that predicts this kind of stuff. What other reason does Rey go to Tatooine? A place Luke hated, Leia was imprisoned, and Anakin managed to escape at the cost of his soul, other than for audiences to be like, Oh my god, it's Tatooine! 
He cannot imagine a story without a big bad, at least he doesn't want to challenge himself to explore the trauma and conflict of Kylo Ren, so he brings back the Emperor. He throws shade at both Last Jedi and Force Awakens. He forces Rey and Kylo Ren into a lightsaber battle every time they meet. It's this type of storytelling, a service industry approach that means we have no consequences for any of the film's actions. Rise of Skywalker has a weightlessness because ultimately nothing matters in it. Rey has to cope with the idea she killed Chewbacca? Nah, it's fine because they changed ships. Hmm. Ben Solo has to come to terms with the chaos, destruction, and horrible violence he wrought? Nah, it's okay because he's good in the end. Rey sacrifices herself to stop a cycle of violence. Oh no, Ben redeems himself by giving her his life force, so she's alright. J.J. Abrams must think audiences are unable to handle any dilemma, any trauma, so he routinely takes us off to the side and tells, tell us, tells us it will all be fine. We don't earn that hope and optimism. We, as an audience, never get to find satisfaction or closure or even enjoyment because in his desperate need to appease us, Abrams implies none of this was ever really that bad. And I guess that finally brings me to Rose Tico. From the moment Kelly Marie Tran stepped into the frame, Star Wars turned into something more. The rebel mechanic with no dreams of glamour or adventure, who joined the resistance with her sister because they both knew it was the right thing to do, who lost everything yet still continued to move forward, in the process becoming the heart and soul of the sequel trilogy, maybe even the franchise. She was the call for hope, the voice of optimism, her earnestness, her desire to keep fighting despite being aware more than anybody except for maybe Leia of the shitty mechanizations ruling the galaxy made her into an inspirational figure. Just think about that disappointment and heartbreak she showed when she realized Finn was trying to run away from the fleet. Just look at how she wants to punch all of Cantle Bright in its pretty stupid face. Rose was never delusional, never turned a blind eye to the atrocities around her, but she believed that they could be overcome. We're not going to win this war uh, by fighting what we hate, but by saving what we love, she says in her most famous line. It's also probably the most truthful and definitive statements in the entire Star Wars saga. But in Rise of Skywalker, she's relegated to the sidelines. She doesn't get the opportunity to do anything because Abrams and Terrio cannot be bothered to think about why we have to stand up against tyranny, why we have to keep going when everything seems so dark and relentless, especially when there's potential for another chase, another space battle, another lightsaber duel. Characters don't move in this movie out of an intrinsic need to make the world better, but because they're locked in this never-ending, self-perpetuating cycle. Rose understood this better than anyone. So th I think the Resistance has two other mission statements, if you will. There's the one from Poe. We are the spark that will light the fire that will burn the First Order to the ground. Uh, the other one comes from Vice Admiral Hodo, quoting Leia. Hope is like the sun. If you only believe in it when you see it, you'll never make it through the night. I think Rose embodies both these ideas. Her every action and decision is a means of exploring these themes. She continues to fight despite suffering huge losses and disappointments. She pushes herself out of her element and comfort zone because she's needed to do so. She freaking calls out the military-industrial complex, knows better than anyone the force is keeping this system intact. She inspires by action and trust, and in betraying her like the way The Rise of Skywalker does, in pushing her to the side and making her all but irrelevant, Star Wars effectively denies its own heart. It not only loses, but rejects what has distinguished it from other recent franchises. It becomes yet another theme ride. 
To have Rose on screen at all, to have her turn away when the adventure is about to start, to look defeated through the whole film. Though, of course, I think most of the actors, with maybe the exception of Boyega, look defeated here. To have her say lines that only drive the plot forward, to have her relegated to less than random rebel character number five is a deliberate apostasy on Abrams and Terrio's part, an acknowledgement that what we're sitting through is meaningless. I don't think people go to Star Wars to be told this doesn't matter, Abrams said to the New York Times. It was a low-key dig at The Last Jedi. However, both that film and Abrams' Force Awakens stress the importance, the sense of hope and fulfillment that a story can bring. Those two movies share this idea that you need to take history and grow from it to evolve. Rise of Skywalker, on the other hand, shrugs it all off. So it's not just a bummer movie, but a patronizing, condescending, and somewhat nihilistic one as well. All of which are the antithesis of Star Wars. At the end of our screening, my boyfriend turned to me and asked if at least the Porgs' presence was worth it. And yo, two seconds of Porgs helps mitigate the disappointment, but there's still so many ill-founded choices and ridiculous decisions, it's disheartening to think that this is where the Skywalker saga ends. Star Wars means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. I mean, generations have found something to cherish and inspire them in nearly all the films and TV shows and comics and novels. Rise of Skywalker ends up trying to take that all away. It takes the idea that the Force is for everyone and declares it's only for a select few, those dynasties. It traps itself in cycles. It deludes itself into thinking what it wants and what we want. It constantly and consistently undermines itself and its accomplishments, not to mention the accomplishments of the other films. I'm not sure what Abrams would have found if he had been given more development time. He's always been a storyteller better at setting up pieces than seeing them through, but so much of this film feels knee-jerk and dismissive, bland and conservative. But Star Wars won't end because it's a corporate property now. However, it will evolve. We have to remember, have to remind ourselves, we are the Force. Stories like this, even fantasies and fairy tales like this, help define us, help give us the tools and language to face the world and to try to make it better. The people involved in making Star Wars, from Kathleen Kennedy to Dave Filoni, care about what happens in Star Wars. So regardless of where Rise of Skywalker ends, regardless of the choices it ends up making, we must remember that we are collectively the broom boy from The Last Jedi. We are Rose and Leia and even Rey previous to this movie. We are still part of this story.